0: Good morning, Park, Rogers Park. Good to see you all this morning. My name is uh, Phil Adams. I serve here as the pastor at Park RP. i glad you're all here with us today. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, as you know, we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. If you got a Bible at the back, um, outside those tables, and you like to keep that Bible, take that Bible, it's yours. Um, but we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 today. In a moment, I'll read from verse 12 as well. Um, If you're here last week, um, or you haven't listened to the message from last week, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to that message. John did a great job um, on the subject of of, of, um, spiritual giftings last week, and two pieces of that message that I personally was really grateful for were, number one, that John emphasized that spiritual gifts are spiritual. Spiritual gifts, they, they, they take our abilities beyond that which otherwise would be naturally possible. Spiritual gifts are only possible because the Holy Spirit is at work um, within us. And so all spiritual giftings are, are supernatural in nature. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit to see our spiritual giftings come to fruition. The second thing from last week that I really appreciated it, you can find it on our Spotify account, was I appreciate how John's message was this emphasis that, that all, everyone, All of us who are followers followers of Christ are spiritually gifted. We we each are equipped by the Holy Spirit to be contributors in the life of the church. And John ran through a lot of the spiritual gifts that are mentioned in the New Testament. If you want to refresh your gifts of prophecy the ability to speak present truth or special discernment of future events, serving the ability to see and be attuned to the practical needs within the church and the joyful desire to fulfill these needs, encouragement, the special ability to see hope and joy stirred up in the lives of other believers, teaching the ability to instruct others in God's truth, healing, the special means of being an instrument of God's healing power, giving, The ability to generously give time and money and resources to others. Leadership. The ability to bring together and cast vision and build up those under your care. Mercy. Those with the spiritual gift of mercy are those who are particularly sensitive to the weaknesses of others and have a special ability to apply healing and grace. Faith. Those with the, whole, the, the spiritual gifts entrusted by the Holy Spirit of faith have a special awareness of God's sovereign hand ruling and reigning in all situations and all circumstances. Those are just a, a handful of descriptors of what spiritual gifts might look like in our lives. And this week's message is a continuation of last week's message. The subject matter today hasn't changed, rather this week offers a further explanation. And so to keep going, we need to stop ourselves and ask why? Why is the Apostle Paul writing about spiritual gifts in the first place? What's, What's motivating him to bring up this subject matter? The Bible isn't a systematic theology, just of facts and bits of pieces of information without context, know that God chose that the Bible, that His Word to us would be written within history, within circumstances, pain and grief and frustration, that His Word would be written in response to the joy, in response to, to, to suffering, in response to doubt and fear, in response to the full spectrum of human experience, and so the Bible speaks to our hearts. Not just our minds, because God's word was forged within the context of deeply human stories. The, the world has changed a lot in the past 2,000 years, but the cries of our human hearts have not. The, the quick answer, therefore, as to why the Apostle Paul is writing about spiritual giftings is that he, he, he wants to correct an imbalance that exists within the church in Corinth. There is or has become an overemphasis on some gifts while an underemphasis on other gifts. There is an overemphasis on some while there is an un- underemphasis on others, which begs the question of us, well, what would the right balance look like if we each were attuned to our giftings as a church and we each were, were walking in them and we're content in them, and making room for one another's and not jealous of another's, but celebrating what is another's, what kind of what kind of community would we be? What kind of church would that make us to be? That's a that's a question that intrigues me because it's 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 about us. It's about the story that, that we collectively are telling. And yet if we're we're honest, there there's this pull within each of us, I know it's within me, that as soon as I hear the possibility of having a a gift or an ability, there is a part of me that immediately can't help but wonder how how might I leverage this for the advancement of of myself or my own story. If there is something that I can do and I can do well, maybe it will be a means to making me feel better about, about who I am maybe if you have a spiritual gift maybe it's going to make people more grateful for you we wonder what what if my ability might make me more seen or more known or more accepted and maybe maybe if i am gifted i might even feel more loved because isn't that what gifts do they, they, they make us famous, and they make us known, and they make us celebrated. It's giftings, it's abilities that win trophies and Super Bowls and Oscars. In preparing this week, I was asking myself, is it, is it even a possibility that our corporate identity as the church could be felt as a more compelling story to live for than even our own individual stories? Is it even a possibility that our corporate identity as the church could be truly felt as a more compelling story to live for than our, even our own individual stories? Or to put it differently, could we give our lives to something greater than ourselves? And in doing so, rather than lose ourselves, could it be that only then that we will truly find ourselves? Let's read our passage for today. First Corinthians chapter 12 And we're going to read from verse 12 right down to verse 30. Verse 12. For just as the body is one, and as many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffer, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you're the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly seek, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Let me pray. Let's pray together. God, we come before you, God. We come um, with expectant hearts, God, before your word. God, we acknowledge that you have chosen to speak and to lead and to guide your people through your word, God, so would you reveal truth to us today, God? I pray, God, that um, you would make our hearts tender and open and humble, God, as we come before you. I pray, God, that your, your spirit would be actively at work in this room, God, that this would not just be a gathering of people, but it would be a gathering where the people that are one in Christ, bind together by the Holy Spirit, would be found learning together, growing together as a community. God, would you do that this morning here? Would you do that in the kids' ministry this morning? I pray that you would just bind us closer together today, I pray in your name, amen. In verse 12, Paul stays on the same subject matter that we've already said of spiritual gifts, but he shifts the mode of writing from last week, this week, to speaking or writing figuratively or metaphorically. William Shakespeare, some of you might know William Shakespeare, famously wrote, All the world is a stage, and all the men and women merely players. And that is a metaphor. Metaphor is a figure of speech that directly compares one thing to being like another thing. Shakespeare wrote, The world is a stage, to convey a particular meaning for us to consider is this all that life is? Are we just actors, players walking onto a stage with only a few minutes to tell our stories and garner an applause before the curtain drops? In verse 12, Paul begins to set up his own metaphor. Paul explains that a human body exists as a single entity, but a human body, although one, is made up of many parts or members. We have eyes and we have feet and we have arms and we have legs and we have toes and we have heads and we have hearts and lungs, or we have a head we have multiple heads. And then he closes verse 12 by saying, so it is with Christ, which seems like a kind of oddly placed point of emphasis. Paul slips in here at the end of verse 12 that Jesus too, like us, has a body made up of many members. And this is is clearly something that Paul wants us to keep in mind, that Jesus too has a body. Then in verse 13, Paul takes this idea of a body with many members and he he solidifies the metaphor by comparing it to what it also is. What it also is like a body, as in the church. That the many of us who have been baptized into the one spirit are like a body. Verse 13 reads, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we all were made to drink of the one spirit. And this establishes Paul's metaphor. Shakespeare compares the world to a stage, and the Apostle Paul compares the church to a body. Whether you're here, whether you are a slave, or whether you are free, whether you're a Jew, or whether you're a Greek, no matter who you are, no matter what your distinction this morning, whatever you think makes you feel different, if you're a follower of Christ, you are a part of this single, united body called the church. But then from first, verse 14 onwards, Paul begins to make even more explicit what he wants us to, what he wants us to draw. It is the meaning of this metaphor. He, he, he doesn't just want to leave it up to us to decide in what ways the church is a body. He wants to make it explicit that we are like a body and that although we are united as one through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not all the same. We are one, but we do not all share the same function within the body. Paul here in verse 14 is making the distinction between unity and uniformity. We are united, but we are not uniform. Hence in verse 14, the emphasis is not that the body is one single body part, rather the body is the accumulation of many body parts working together in unison. The big idea in verse 13 and 14 is that what makes us different should not make us feel like we are not a part of the body. Rather, what makes you different likely defines the necessary body part that you are. In verse 13 and 14, Paul is saying to each of us that you are necessary. You are necessary. Your presence, your contribution is necessary. So what's the first thing to grasp for us here today in in Rogers Park. You know, I do not necessarily always feel to be true what is true. I do not always feel to be true what is true. And that lack of, of feeling truth can open us all up to a whole world of pain and fear and doubts and insecurities. I've wondered before when Jesus says to forgive not seven times but 77 times whether he is saying this not so that we who have been wronged will continue to forgive the perpetrator but because Jesus knows that the one who has done wrong will always struggle even when forgiven to feel forgiven. I'm talking about the loved who feels unlovable. And talking about the girl who can't see in herself what others see so obviously, or the the teenager who lost in the crowd hasn't realized their own individual self-worth, or the adult who is pretending that they have. We do not always feel to be true what is true. And some of us feel this in the life of the church, that even though this church is your church, you have a niggling feeling that it's not. Even though this church is your church, you have this niggling feeling that it's not, that in some sense your presence is not fulfilling a felt need, that in some sense you are in the wrong place. And so I guess it's hard not to wonder that maybe you are, maybe God is, is calling you to, to, to go, maybe God is calling you to be somewhere else, and maybe he is. Over the past couple of years, Ruth and I have wondered at different times within ourselves is there somewhere else the Lord wants us to be? That's a genuine question to ask. But you know what I've come to realize? That the Holy Spirit will never, never, never tell us to go somewhere else because we do not belong here. The Holy Spirit will never tell us to go somewhere else because we do not belong here. Did you get that? The thought that you have that niggly feeling that you do not belong here in the midst of the family who God is forming as his own, that feeling that these people are not your people is the curse of the church still feeling the effects of this fallen world. Maybe, Maybe the Lord wants you to go care for your family in Indiana. Maybe the Lord wants you to go to an unreached people group somewhere else in the world. Maybe the Lord wants you to go to Rooted Community Church in North RP or sub Sahara. Maybe he does, but he will never tell you to go there because you don't belong here. He might prompt you to go there because there is a special assignment for you. But even if you do go there, the Holy Spirit will still be telling you that you will always belong here. Why? Because the church's unity, the church's oneness is first built not upon where we live or even how we treat one another and most definitely not built on how we feel. Our unity transcends all of that. Our belonging transcends all of that. The church's unity is built from the ground up when the church is grounded in the work of Christ on the cross having bind us together. The church becoming one is not something that we do. The church being one is a foundation that is finished. That's what verse 13 says that we are one in spirit, whether we are Jew or Greek, slave or free, here or there. And so the Holy Spirit, rather than pulling us apart, is always, always, always prompting us closer together prompting us to be through our local expressions of the church, through our words, through our deeds and our treatment of one another. The Holy Spirit is always prompting us to be more truly what we already are. One people, one family, one body. And so if you love Jesus and you feel like you do not belong here this morning, take your feelings and align them with what is true. Brother, sister, heart, lung, foot, hand. You belong here. But ask yourself, in what ways is the Holy Spirit not pulling you away? From other believers, but to whom here today, is the Holy Spirit maybe prompting you in perseverance to draw in love closer towards? This idea that of then of aligning our feelings with what is true continues on in verse 15. From verse 15 onwards we get this list of pretty comical scenarios or conversations that a body might have between itself we read what a foot might be saying to a hand or we read about what an ear might be saying to an eye and this body in verses 15 to 17 and this and then in verse 21 is kind of looking around feeling pretty grumpy and pretty discontent First in verse 15, there is a foot being very, they're very melodramatic and saying, you know what, if I have to stay being a foot, if you keep putting me in these ugly shoes and I can't be a hand, I don't think I can even continue belonging to part of this family. And we can say, well, let's, let's talk this through. I want to hear how you're feeling. What is it you're struggling with being a foot? I understand the hand gets a lot of cool, get to do a lot of cool stuff. I would like to say to the foot that you, 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 I get it, you maybe feel like you don't belong here, but then I mean you're, you're down there and you are pretty foundational to creating stability to everything else up here. And then in verse 16, we hear of an ear who feels the same way, but the ear doesn't want to be a hand. The ear isn't interested in touching things or holding things. The ear wants to be an eye because the ear is frustrated that he can't see anything. The ear, like the foot, feels discontent to such a degree that he feels like he might as well just get cut off. And as we listen to the feelings of these body parts, we think, like, Paul, that this body is pretty dysfunctional. In verse 17, Paul says, "says hold on, I, I don't know what your, your goal is here, but can you just stop for, for a second and think about the whole in verse 17, Paul says, just, just imagine if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? Verse 17, Paul says, what if the whole body was one big ear? It could hear everything, but it smell and see and say and do Nothing. Then we get to verse 18 and remember paul is using a metaphor comparing one thing to being like another and so he hones in a little further for us to remember the incredible design that is the human body that that as we sit here today in our most inactive moments when we may feel like we're using our bodies the least our hearts are beating our lungs are drawing in oxygen our ears are listening and keeping us balanced or keeping us on the chair Our bones and muscles are holding us together, our eyes are focusing and sending patterns of light down nerve endings to our brains where our brains somehow are making sense of our surroundings and somehow each of our individual bodies and brains are able to translate what our senses are experiencing all in the same way to form one shared human reality allowing not only us to see but us all to see the same thing and all of this is happening while some of us in the room are making new bodies in your bodies. And this is all going on while consciously we're thinking about none of any of this. Bill Gates, you might know him, says that the human body is the most complex system ever created. It is also true that the human, bo- the human brain alone is the most complex and mysterious object known to mankind. Linus Pauling, a biochemist, said just one living cell in the human body is more complex than New York City. And the human body is made up of 37 trillion cells nearly each of which essentially recreate themselves every six months. I was telling the girls yesterday that your body is not the same body that you had six months ago. Nora looked at me and said, Dad, are you preaching tomorrow? <laughs> I was like, yes, Nora. In verse 18, Paul is telling the church in Corinth, remember the intentionality with which God created the human body. He did not design us haphazardly. He knew the endless components that would need to function simultaneously, and he knew it would be the cohesive working together with each member in its rightful place, doing what it was made to do that would create the incredible wonder of the whole. Verse 20, there is one body, but purposefully and necessarily many members. Then verse 21 to 26, it seems that in Corinth there were some contributions to the whole that were being undervalued, and likely some who were feeling undervalued. Then again, we we get to eavesdrop into this body that is talking to itself. Verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can the head say to the feet, I have no need of you. In verse 21, the picture we get is of an eye trying to pick something up without any hands, or a head going for a walk without feet, which is fairly self-explanatory. But Paul goes on in verse 22 to verse 26 to address the issues that some within the church might say to another, when the people might say to one another, I have no need of you, or you are not necessary, or you are not needed. And Paul seems to think this is most likely going to be said to parts of the body that are perceived as either in verse 22 weaker, weaker parts, or less honorable parts in verse 23. And so Paul, to reframe some of how the church is thinking, he goes on to say, if they have gotten imbalanced in elevating some gifts or some people, he wants to remind them and us another way of looking at our bodies, particularly the weaker parts or the less honorable parts. In verse 23, Paul writes, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. What's Paul talking about? Paul again, speaking metaphorically, He's saying that some parts of the body are going to to get more attention. Some parts of the body are going to get more airtime, Some parts of the body are going to get more notoriety. He knows this. Eyes are going to get told that they are beautiful in a way that gallbladders will never. (laughs) But Paul is saying, slow down a minute, lungs, hearts, and stomachs don't get public affection very often. They aren't out front, hopefully. But look where God chooses to place them in a position of safety, in a position of protection. There is an honor bestowed on parts of the body that are internal. Then Paul makes the same point about unpresentable parts of the body. He's not saying parts of the body are so ugly that they need to be hidden. No, he's not diminishing anything over another. Rather, he's making more of a point that's the opposite, that the parts of our bodies that we cover for modesty's sake are the parts which are the most sacred in bringing about life in the world. Our eyes may get the opportunity to glisten in the sun, but it is in the womb that is the artist that it is the womb that is the artist behind the eye. By the time we get to verse 25, we get to the crux of Paul's metaphor for the church in Corinth. His desire is that there may be no division in the body. But that all members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all of you suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That all members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all of you suffer together. If one member is honored, you all are to rejoice together." You know I've said this before that the Christian life is 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 aspirational it is a life lived by those who have chosen to give their lives in the hope of aspiring to become like christ the christian life is aspirational in nature and so is the church it is a life lived together by those who have chosen to give their lives in the hope of aspiring to becoming like christ and the last words of today's opening verse in verse 12, Paul, after bringing up the idea of the body, he says, and Jesus has one too. And then he spends the next 15 verses telling us about it. And then verse 27 tells us, it's us. That we are not our own, that you are not your own, that I am not my own. We each are by design. And so what happens when we try to be like someone we are not? Or we don't like being who we are? Or we are just in it for our own story or for our own celebration or for our own elevation? What happens is we disfigure the body of Christ. We create an imbalanced, Body for the world to see, and so what do we meditate on? What do we what do we think on to be okay with who we are? How do how do we accept our, our place in the body? Our passage ends, leaving behind the metaphorical, and he, Paul gets literal. He writes, And God is appointed in the church for first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, and ministering and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? And a whole sermon could be spent on on those two verses. But Paul's main thrust here isn't ordering gifts and abilities by importance, but he does highlight in verse 28 the importance of roles within the church that are responsible in ensuring that we are building on the foundations of our faith. This would be the apostles, the prophets, the teachers. But again, Paul's main thrust here is to explain what each of these rules are. And Paul's not to explain what each of these rules are, but Paul's main thrust is to remind us that it's okay that we all aren't everything. His point is that none of us, none of us are the the, the boundaries of everybody's influence at some point comes to an end. No matter no matter who you are in the world, at some point your influence, the boundaries of your influence will come to an end. Everyone has to face their finitude. And if you view your abilities as a means to chase after some, some fairy tale story of success that you think will satisfy you, you're going to be chasing a trophy your whole life that you will never be able to grasp. And so again, what do we meditate on what do we think on to be okay if we if with who we are and the limitations that we have my suggestion which is not the most original suggestion would be to meditate on the wonderful life of jesus to meditate on the wonderful life of jesus And how, although he was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form and the limitations of the human body. Jesus didn't only come to save us from death, but he came to show us how to live, and he lived a simple life. For 30 years, he was entirely unknown. Then for three years, he made a little bit of a ruckus. He, he had 12 close friends, maybe a handful more. He, he never wandered far from home. He never wrote a book. And as far as we know, he, he couldn't hold a tune. Jesus was always a person with whom the most common could relate, which is an incredible feat for God that the most common, the most normal, the most regular people could relate to God. And yet, his life changed yours. His life changed mine. His life was, was of infinite worth, but simply lived. And, laying it, and in laying it down, as he did, he demonstrated a love that conquered death and sin. Church, the, the love and the acclaim that we may use our abilities to try and obtain is already ours in Christ. Hopefully we we remind you this every week that the freely given love of Jesus for you frees you from trying to obtain that which you already possess. And so as we come to the table This morning we partake of the bread which symbolizes Christ's body given for you, and the wine that symbolizes Christ's blood shed for your sins as you come. If you feel weak, if you feel less honorable, or you feel dishonored, if you feel unnecessary, if others have made you feel unneeded, Jesus says to you this morning that you are indispensable, that you are indispensable. And so go. Jesus is far too cramped up in this room. Be his hands and give. Be his eyes and see. Be his feet and go. Be his mouth and speak. And do it all for his glory. And let's do our best to do it together. Let's pray. God, we acknowledge, God, that we're in this room because you brought us into this room. God, you had your hand on our lives. God, you've redeemed us. You've brought us into your family. You've given us brothers and sisters, God, and you've brought us the people that we desperately need. You've brought us the people that that match us, that match our giftings and our abilities, that we might reflect who you are in this world. God, I pray that we will lay down any desires in our hearts, that we would shine brighter than the body of Christ. I pray, God, that you would be the one that receives all the glory, I pray, God, as people see our church, as they see our community, they would see that there's something special, something unique that's binding us together, something supernatural that's brought us together as a people, as we love each other, as we forgive one another, as we walk with one another, God. Would you help us, God, to see one another? God, I pray, God, if there's those in our church, God, and they feel less honorable and they feel weak, I pray, God, that we would honor them. I pray, God, that we would protect them. I pray that we would keep them safe. I pray, God, that we would see them and thank them. God, would you you'd do that within our church, I pray, for your glory, because you're worthy in your name. Amen.